Hello, it's Caroline, and I'm here to tell you that the episode you're about to listen to was recorded a long time ago, back when I used Patreon, back when I ran lots of different workshops and programs that I do not run anymore, and back before the Fuck It Diet book. So if I refer to any of these obsolete offerings while you're listening, just know that even though my Patreon and other programs don't exist anymore, you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck It Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Hello and welcome to... Welcome? You know what that was? It was supposed to be welcome to the Fuck It Diet Radio, but I said welk it meaning fuck it welcome and fuck it okay well i have a couple updates before we get into the meat of the episode i am changing over the podcast and post schedule to be once a month meaning once a month i will have a new post an episode with new content a new lesson a new essay new you know things to chew on plus the Q&A that I do through Patreon. So over at patreon.com slash carolineduner, that's where people ask questions for this podcast on a pay-what-you-can scale. So that's all going to be rolled into one episode a month, meaning the episodes will probably be longer than the 30-ish minutes that they were when they were twice a month. So that's what's going to be happening with this podcast for now. There may be bonus episodes here and there. I'm sure there will be, but the general schedule will be schedule. Oh God, general. My my brain is trying to make hybrid words, and I don't like it. Anyway, also for anybody who doesn't know, my name is Caroline Dooner. That's why it's Patreon.com/slash Caroline Dooner. I am the creator of the Fuck a Diet. I am the host of this podcast, and I am the woman who has a podcast but can't really talk turns out so all right so that's what's happening with the podcast also um in june i'm going to be launching a live version of fucketeer academy so let me kind of give just a little history lesson on fucketeer academy fucketeer academy used to be two years ago it was a monthly membership program which i ran for a year i loved it people loved it it was Um, fun for me. It was cool. And every month there was a new theme, a new energy work, a new content. And I found it to be really difficult to keep going that way because it wasn't cumulative. You know, I was trying to make it both cumulative and something that people could jump in on at any time. And though maybe there are some different, um, I mean, first of all, it's not that I couldn't keep doing it. I just found it really difficult. I found it really difficult to keep up momentum and make everybody happy, even though there were people who had been in the program for a year and loved it, but also were like, okay, but now there are new people joining all the time. And so we're sort of starting over. So it had its benefits, but it became difficult. So I changed it 
into a self-study. I first started offering a self-study version of the program, just like the basic, I, it was sort of like putting this together with energy work, which is really the, the lens that I come through. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I come at this from a very um, personal and sort of mind-body approach, which is why I just trained to be a yoga teacher. Not that I'm going to teach vinyasa, but I want it. I want that kind of background. I, I enjoy kind of coming at it from that angle and working with people on this stuff from that angle. So, which is why I have an intuition intensive and that's sort of the way that I go about teaching anti-diet and body positive and getting, you know, getting out of our own way by actually sinking into our bodies. That's why. That's why. Um, all of the years that I kind of begrudgingly rolled my eyes and was like, oh God, do I have to go to school to become a nutritionist? I just kept doing more and more mind-body stuff. And so here we are. This is This is what it is. So... Uh, I created a self-study program. I called it the Fucketeer Magic Package, which was a fun name. And it was a, all of this was like super, super cheap and affordable. I offered, you know, video lessons that explained what I was teaching in Fucketeer Academy monthly. There just wasn't monthly content. So then I changed over to have it be that entirely. And I've kept the community from the beginning people have been able to sort of like stay in stay in the Facebook group stay chatting about this stuff and then I spent a long time writing the fuck it diet book that is going to be coming out with HarperCollins Harper Wave February 2019 in North America um and and then I revamped Fucketeer Academy to reflect the way I taught the lessons in the book. So now it's the physical section, the emotional section, and the mental section. And they build upon each other. And it's the way, you know, it's all the stuff that I talk about in here on this podcast, but it's very specifically cumulative and builds in a way that actually allowed me to write a book that had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I was so excited to actually land on that that I was like, well, this is obviously how I should teach everything and make it super consistent. Not only so it's easy for me, but so people have like kind of some anchors and it can be an easier way to view this entire journey and what's happening. That all sounds really vague, but that's really what I'm, you know, have been trying to do all along to make it easier to teach and easier to learn and easier to apply it to yourself. So, um, I updated Fucketeer Academy and I have these, um, I have writing exercises. So when I wrote the book, I had all of these writing exercises in it. And then actually my editor was like, you know what, let's make this book more of a manifesto and a little bit less of a program, even though it still is a program. I'm still teaching people how to take themselves through it, but I took out, um, you know, half of the writing exercises and put them in Fucketeer Academy, the program. So the book will have exercises, but Fucketeer Academy will have even more and does already to this, at this moment. Um, anyway, I'm going to be running it live in June and everyone who's already a member. So if you're listening to this and you're already a member, you're going to get to go through it with everybody live um, so the way that I want to structure this course, as well as my intuition intensive, which are two separate programs, Fucketeer Academy 
is, which I've temporarily renamed the Rebel Survival Guide because I was having a name identity crisis. Um, it's going to be taken back to its original name. It's going to be called Fucketeer Academy. It's going to run live every so often, probably only once a year. And other than that, people can buy it self-study. And then when it runs live again, you can all participate. It's going to be going up in price. I know that I say that all of the time, but I have been super like under valuing the content that's in it, I believe. And so it's currently 175. If you buy it at 175 right now, you're going to be able to participate just like I, you know, I grandfather people in, but it's going to go up to 350 and it's going to run live at the end of June, early July. And then it's going to be self-study until I run it live again. So that is what's coming up. That also means that next month I'm not going to have a new podcast episode because I'm going to be emailing so much about free lessons and Instagram live stories that I'm going to be doing kind of to answer questions and give some fun free lessons to people on Instagram, to people on my email list. So I don't want to inundate people too much. So for the people who are in my Patreon who do who do the pay what you can for Q&A, I'm going to have a kind of like secret um, Q&A for those people so they don't, you know, get shafted. But I'm not going to have a new uh, post and podcast episode next month, but I will in July and then we'll pick up from there. The other thing is that become, <laughs> people call it so many different things. My intuition intensive is like the advanced, um, it's like fuck it diet level two is what I like to call it. And I sometimes call it be your own damn guru, become your own guru. But really the official title of the program has always been become your own damn guru. Also, I just did this yoga teacher training and one of my two teachers is sort of into this weird, creepy guru shit that I was sort of fielding and half of us were a little creeped out by it and we had to go to this like farm that was beautiful, but like there was just some weird guru stuff where you like surrender your soul to this, you know, quote unquote spiritual master who is a human and I think that it's creepy and I think that it's dangerous and I just was like smack dab in the middle of that. And a good friend of mine now from the teacher trainer, I would talk about this all the time with her. And I finally was like, wait, do you know that for years I've had a program called Become Your Own Damn, Own Damn Guru because I think that this culty energy is everywhere? And she was like, no. And um, so, yeah, I, weirdly, I was just in this situation where I, my teacher was like, kind of into this stuff. So yes, I think culty energy can infiltrate many different things, religious things, um, not only religious things, but other things like diets, um, which is why we're talking about this. I think it's like one of the things that humans do. And I think it's one of the things we need to be super aware of because it can happen in really subtle ways that aren't like super obvious. Um, but it's important to realize when that energy is happening. Anyway, my point is, both of these programs, Fucketeer Academy and Become Your Own Dumb Guru, are self-study programs, unless I'm running them live. So I'm going to be running Fucketeer Academy live in late June. And But for now, I've just made, for the first time ever, I've made Become Your Own Dumb Guru a self-study. It is more expensive than Fucketeer Academy. It has 
46 separate individual video lessons with correlating PDFs, four weeks of um, curriculum, and I'm not like doing a marketing push or anything, but I have had people reach out to me and ask when I'm going to run it again, and the answer is I'm not sure. It might be the fall, it might be after the book comes out, but if you want to join the program and do self-study and join the Facebook group filled with people who are like so amazing and who talk about you know, the content, applying it to their lives all the time, you are free to do that. But anyway, my point is the way that I'm running my programs, I'm really trying to make it simpler for myself and for people where I have two main programs. Faketeer Academy is the first one. It's basic faket diet stuff that sort of follows the spirit of the book that will be coming out. Then I have Become Your Own Damn Guru, which is more advanced, more to mind, body, energy work stuff and intuition and listening to your own body. And they are both self-study unless they are being run live in which the people who bought it self-study are able to participate. Um, and I will be running Pocketeer Academy live in June. But if you want to get a price that is cheaper than what it will be going up to, you can buy it now. Anyway, that's it. And then obviously the kind of more slapped together pay what you can version is the Patreon that is kind of linked to this podcast where I actually answer your guys' questions. There are rewards on there. It's possible that the rewards will be changing as I continue to evolve the way I offer things with the book coming out. I'm just not sure what's going to happen, but for now that's the way it is. And I thank all of you for participating and for you know, just going on this crazy journey, trusting me not to be like a creepy guru person who's taking advantage of you and your own autonomy because that's what happens all the time and I think it's so creepy. <sighs> okay. So so that's that's the housekeeping, guys. That's the housekeeping. So now let's get into this new post. Um, and But first I have to find it because, of course, I don't plan anything in advance. Though I did write it but I didn't like actually bring it up on my computer. <laughs> okay, new posts. Okay, how to eat like a normal person. And the reason that I'm writing this post and calling it this is because people Google this all of the time, how to eat like a normal person because everybody feels like a not normal person with food because we're all so fucked up because society is so fucked up with food and bodies, okay. How does a normal person eat? Well, this obviously also depends on your definition of normal and your definition of what normal eating is, which is a slippery slope because what is common is dysfunctional, but because it's common, is it normal? Question mark. Here's the truth. Most people are a little disordered with their eating these days. A little or a lot disordered. Obsessive or disordered eating is common, so you could call it normal. Fuck, this isn't this is an instance of me going off script thinking I'm adding something really brilliant, but I've basically already written it. Okay, but it's not normal. It shouldn't be normal, and it's definitely not healthy. Our dysfunctional relationship with food, our obsessive relationship with food is not healthy. So instead of calling it normal eating for the purposes of what I'd like to teach you, I call it ease with food, where you're not overthinking things, where it's actually easy to eat and feed yourself. That's what should be normal. That's not necessarily what is normal and common. But this is how a person who has ease with food eats. 
They can go through their day and pretty much only think about food when they're actually hungry. They have a strong, healthy appetite for lots of food, and yet their weight stays relatively stable in their own personal weight set range because their metabolism isn't compromised and stressed from dieting and restriction. They eat what they crave, and they crave what they need for the most part. Sometimes salads, sometimes cookies, sometimes fruit, sometimes steak, etc. They can eat a meal and stop in the ballpark of satiation and fullness without overthinking it, without being too precious about how much food they've eaten. It's second nature. It's easy. There is ease. They can eat distracted or tired or stressed or sad and still stop once they get full in the ballpark of fullness because when food is neutral and the body is fed, food intuition is easy. They will have a strong sense of what food they want, when, and how much, but it won't be that important. Oh, I just cracked my knuckle. Sorry, I don't know if you heard that. But it won't be that important that they follow it perfectly because life is too short to obsess about food, hunger, and satiation levels. So how do we find this ease with food? How do we feel neutral and even joyful with all foods, not just your safe diet foods? Eating. The answer is literally eating. And the way I teach it is going on the fuck it diet, which involves eating. And believe me, back before the fuck it diet, I was so far from normal. I was so far from normal and normal eating. And I was so fixated on food and weight that when I, I, well, okay, I wasn't even sure what the other alternative was. I didn't know what normal eating was like. I had no idea what it was supposed to look like. I had you know, hopes and ideas, but on a personal level, I didn't know what that felt like. I didn't know what it would be like to not be super freaking weird about my hunger and the amount of food that I ate. And I would look at people who didn't overthink food and I would think, well, I guess they're just, they just happen to be lucky that they don't, weren't born with a food addiction. I thought that I was like wired wrong, like inherently. I didn't realize that my food addiction was biologically driven and constantly being made worse by every diet that I put myself on. I didn't realize that in a way we are meant to be fixated on food because food is a fundally, see, fundally, that's me fucking up words, because food is a fundamentally important part of staying alive. So... When the body senses that food access is scarce, our food fixation increases. That is how we are wired. That is the way it is supposed to be. In fact, that is normal. Thankfully, the reverse is also true. Hallelujah. What it means is that once the body knows it is fed and will be fed, it can calm down. The end. So... Again, it's stuff I say over and over and over because it is true, but that is the way I would address the question, what does normal eating look like? What is normal eating? Okay, here's another thing I'm actually going to read on this podcast that I haven't posted, but let's talk a little bit about Instagram for a second. So on Instagram, first of all, if you don't follow me on Instagram, that is where I'm going to be doing some free lessons in June. And I'm going to be emailing about this too. So you don't need to remember this, but you can just wait till I email you. But 
Instagram Live is where I am going to be doing free Q&As and new lessons. I have like my free email lessons right now, but I'm going to be just sort of giving them a little tweak and giving them a slightly new theme. Um, and I'm going to be doing that as part of the launch leading into the live round of Fucketeer Academy in June. And it's going to be happening on Instagram. And this part is all free. So if you would like to participate in this and you do not follow me on Instagram, follow me on Instagram at thefuckadiet.com. If you don't have Instagram, sorry, you can either get Instagram so you can join in or just not. Um, and if you already follow me, you're good. So, so that's one thing about Instagram. But the other thing is that the other day I posted something that I had posted on Twitter and I posted the, the tweets, like the text of the tweets onto Instagram. And this is what it said. I said, I have, I've had backlash from conservative followers who wish I wouldn't bring politics into body politics, our relationship to our bodies and our relationship with food. And my current response is too bad. I know it's related. And so I bring it up. You are, of course, free to find a different teacher who will not mention it or who will share your political beliefs, but that might be hard to find. So maybe take some time to consider why. So hopefully that's self-explanatory in and of itself. Um, but it, but to some people it wasn't. There were some people who were like, what do you, what do you mean? Either, what do you mean? Because they missed back, you know, months ago. Because I don't talk about politics that often, but when it feels relevant, which it is relevant, um, the way we sort of police bodies is a political thing and it's also a personal thing and it's it's all wrapped up in social issues and social justice and to be perfectly honest with you i am not an expert in this arena i'm not i see the connections i love to read um from people who who are experts in this arena and i sort of do have this awareness that the fuck it diet and my particular writing is kind of an entry point for lots of different people and so I you know I, I do like to stick to what I believe and what I know to be true but I I know that it's sort of like an easy entry point because it's funnier and it's um you know it's really speaking to people's pain with food and then the next step is to kind of explain how our relationship to our bodies are you know the underlying cause so but what I really want to say is that there are people who were like, can you explain this a little bit better? Like, what do you actually mean? And so I wrote this whole long thing sort of for myself because I'm really not good at debating. I'm really not. Like, I need time to kind of like sit back and be like, okay, let me actually like very, you know, on my own time sort of like talk this through. Um, also, my brain is completely jelly with... Um, with studies like it's a shame for me and for you but I like take them in and then I sort of like digest them and break them down into like into what I believe but then I forget the study that it came from and so I'm not good at like pointing people back to them so anyway there are lots of things and I there are lots of other people who will talk about race and weight politics way better than I will and so I'm going to leave that to them 
Um, there are lots of sociologists and people who are just great at talking about this connection. And um, there's so much more to the issue than what I'm about to read. But what I'm about to read, again, is a really nice entry point, or at least taking one corner of the issue and beginning to look at it. So looking at this perspective from um, a feminist and progressive ideals perspective is important. I think it actually gets really muddied when we start talking about Republican and Democrat because people then like to bring up examples of Democrats who are either not feminist or not body positive or who have treated women badly. And there are so many examples of that. So to me, this isn't a Republican slash Democrat thing. This is a why feminism and progressive ideals are really, really important to our relationship with our bodies and therefore our relationship with food. So I'm going to read this thing that I wrote. Um, I wrote this long thing to explain just a little sliver of why I believe the things I believe. I need to... Okay. So I'm going to talk about why social liberalism, specifically, even though you could get in, like, easily could get into um, how big businesses and, like, you know, cruel capitalism is totally benefiting off of people's insecurities. There's so much there. But I'm going to really specifically focus on why social liberalism is an intrinsic part of body positivity, healing our relationship with the way we look, and I'm going to be focusing specifically on women's rights and how it has affected the way we relate to beauty. Just like I said, and I wrote this, there's a whole connection between weight acceptance and racism that I am truly not an expert on and that I love hearing people who are experts on it talk about it. So I'm not even going to begin to try and explain because I would probably fail and there would be so much more that would be needed to be said. So I'm just going to sort of like point that out and then but talk about what I feel like I can actually speak to. Um, ba, 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 I already said all this. Again, here's an example of me going off script, thinking that I'm adding something, and I've already written it. Okay. So understand, again, that I'm not blindly endorsing our American Democratic Party. I'm not even really talking about Republicans and Democrats with specificity because they also, through the years, they flip-flop on which our leading progressive causes. Um, I'm not defending our government parties. I am talking about progressive ideals. I genuinely believe that the whole government, for the most part, is corrupt on both sides and that they're all paid off by corporations to support corporate interests. It's a disaster. Um, I definitely think that there are some public servants who are amazing and filled with integrity, but I really genuinely think that it's rare and hard to um, keep up in a super corrupt system. Okay, so a big deep irony of body positivity is that many quote-unquote forward-thinking people are deeply weight-biased against themselves and others, and also don't discount how people can be subconsciously prejudiced against themselves. For instance, women have internalized sexism toward other women and towards themselves, even if they don't realize it, learn from the society that they were raised in. An example of that would be like an old woman, like my grandmother, literally saying that like men know best and like men should make decisions and like women are bad drivers. They just like decided that that was true based on what they'd been told and applied it to themselves and think that it's somehow empowering for them to whatever. I don't even know. 
So what I'm talking about are liberal, liberal ideals, ideals of inclusion and progressive ideals of equality and acceptance, as well as current feminism and how and why all this can affect the way that we see ourselves. Um, I'm not citing individuals because individuals will fail us. So let's focus on the big picture. In order to see how the big picture works, we have to zoom out and we have to look back. Until 1920, in America, women could not vote. This was less than 100 years ago. And there are, so I like linked to this Wikipedia page that um, you can look at to peruse all of the many rights that women did not have. Um, it's like Wikipedia timeline of women's legal rights other than voting. So because I know enough socially conservative people who like to talk about this and try to twist it around, I am trying to kind of appeal to that perspective. A socially conservative view might even try to argue that women didn't need rights because they had their husbands to protect them. I literally know people who would say stuff like this. They have, women have a sacred duty to bear children and fulfill womanly duties, and it is a gift and it is a beautiful thing and we should not ask for more. That is a view that conservative and or religious men and women still have today and the deep danger with this view is that it decides what is best for every woman. It infuses religion into human rights and into policy and law. As somebody who has me has her own deeply spiritual beliefs um I'm not trying to say that you can't believe what you want but putting it into the government is inherently what this country was not founded on. And of course, I'm going to say that and I went off script and I think that I'm adding stuff, but I'm not, it's coming up. Um, so look around and look back at oppressive religious movements. ISIS is an example. Puritans were another. There have been so many, many more that exist today, that existed in the past. People are ostracized, shunned, stoned, burned at the stake out of a collective fear or for refusing to fit in, and it is very, very dangerous. Saying that women are made to serve their womanly duties at home, and I know that this doesn't sound like it applies to the fuckadite yet, but I promise that I'm I'm coming around to it. Because people do say this, even if you don't even if you don't know anybody who believes this, this is what a lot of fundamentally religious people believe, and what not every conservative person, but what many conservative people believe, and where the party is going. And so um, saying that women are made to serve the womanly duties of the home is like is like saying that black people are meant to work for white people, that they are suited to little else, that they want to work for white people, and white people treat them well. Like this is what slave owners used to say. It's God's mandate. These are arguments that people have made with convic conviction in the government in support of slavery, you know, 200 years ago. People really genuinely convinced themselves that they were right, that God condoned this, and that white people were superior. I am just drawing a connection between deciding what one group of people is are meant to do, like what their role is meant to be. That is making decisions for people, oppressing them, owning them, and stripping them of choice and autonomy by law, citing God as the reason. So I know a lot of happily married women who don't think that they're feminists because their life is good. 
So today's happily married woman saying that feminists are just complaining and that everything is great and fine is like Kanye West thinking that slavery was a choice. Just because your life today, your life today, is filled with option and opportunity and wealth doesn't mean it always was that way and it doesn't mean that it is that way now for every person. It doesn't mean that we don't need to protect this freedom fiercely and continue to learn from the past and see how it's still affecting the present. So conservative social ideals often talk about morals and family values and this is still a dangerous conjoining of church and state that this country was decidedly not founded on because this was in reaction to seeing how destructive that you know joining of church and state was back in Europe where many people were fleeing from. The biggest irony of rule-spewing religious conservatives, in my personal opinion, is that they could not often be more different than the Christ that they claim to love so much. Because Jesus loved the poor and the sick and the ostracized and he accepted prostitutes and all that. That is not what is happening with conservative ideals. Okay, he was an anti-establishment hippie who arguably did magic, man whether you believe that or not. If a woman has no choice except to fulfill a role that is laid out before them and have no influence except for the influence that she may be able to exert with or through her husband, which is the way it was legally, legally, legally for so long until very recently, that means that her biggest power is her marriage which inherently transferred to a woman's desirability and a fear of losing the only power that they had, their husband and their marriage. Why do you think that women are so afraid to grow old, to not be beautiful and not be desired? Yes, of course, we all want to be loved, desired, and have a healthy companionship. And, you know, people do treat, like on a very real level, people do treat um, people who are beautiful, quote unquote, differently. And better. Um, but if this was the only option of power for women, it was also linked to survival for women. Beauty and desirability meant survival and power because there was no other respected or viable option for so, so long. Yes, there's of course nuance here and pendulums do swing and liberation always comes with a learning curve. But assuming that liberation and choice is a bad thing just because there are things to learn and figure out along the way does not mean that it is not worth it. There's like a, there's like a big, there's like enough of a conservative movement that says that like, well, sexual liberation is actually bad for women because they're still doing everything that men want, even though they think that they're doing it for themselves. And there are a lot of ways to argue that as well. And that's what I'm referring to there. So these are also things that a woman was not legally allowed to do until around the 1970s. Women couldn't keep her job if they were pregnant until the Pregnancy Discrimination Act of 1978, women could be fired from their workplace for being pregnant. All nice and well for a woman with the option to quit who craves nesting, but what about the single mother who has no choice? What's Fontaine gonna do? That's what I wrote, lame is reference. Become a prostitute when she loses her factory got job? Yes, she might, and then you despise her for that. And conservatives will say, well, just don't get pregnant if you're single, just, you know, abstinence, man. And whatever you believe about that, that still ignores rape, your husband leaving you, or your husband dying. 
women were not allowed to report cases of sexual harassment in the workplace. Back to Fontaine again, if you know the lame is. So the first time that a court recognized sexual harassment in the workplace was 1977, and it wasn't until 1980 that sexual harassment was officially defined by the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Women were not allowed to get a credit card until the Equal Credit Opportunity Act in 1974. Women were not allowed to apply for credit. In 1975, the first women's bank was opened. Women were not allowed to refuse to have sex with her, their husband, her husband. This is a relic of women being men's property with no autonomy within or without a marriage. The mid-70s saw most states recognize marital rape, and in 1993, it became criminalized in all 50 states. Nevertheless, marital rape is still often treated differently to other forms of rape in some states even today. Women were not allowed to get a divorce with any degree of ease without proving the faults of the other party, such as adultery, which could still easily be overturned by recrimination. This means that women were staying in marriage, marriages where there was abuse or infidelity, either because they were generally stuck and or because of all the other reasons it was too difficult to be a single woman in this world. My point is, again, women were not able to own property, vote, have their own bank accounts, or have any say or credit cards or have any say in our government until relatively recently in the grand scheme of history. Therefore, the way to try or hope to influence anything was through a husband they married where they were legally his property for a long fucking time. And if the only path that was really available to people was marriage, youth, beauty, and or sexuality, that was a woman's only power, her ability to keep her husband interested. The issue with stating, okay, sorry, there's a new paragraph. The issue with stating that every woman should be compliant and womanly and lovely and fulfill her womanly duties within the traditional nuclear family unit is ignoring the effects of not having autonomy or choice. It's ignoring how many women end up in abusive marriages. It's saying, I know what's best for you because God, or more accurately, my convenient interpretation of God. Not to mention how corporate America weaves into this, always making money off of people's insecurities and desire, desire to be desirable, to fit in, in order to have power. The desire to be desirable is also a desire for power. And then people will also cite Hollywood as an argument. Um, they will cite Hollywood as an argument against liberal ideals, essentially saying liberal ideals are bad for women's body image. And there is some truth to that, but bringing this, making it like a liberal thing is in my personal opinion, a distraction. And I will read to you why. Because Hollywood has been run by, old, by an old school boys club. Those were still the people calling the shots until literally like this year, the Me Too movement is, is uncovering the lid on like, yeah, this has been happening up until last year and still happening. The Harvey Weinsteins of the world. Blaming this on liberalism is a distraction. This is why citing Republicans and Democrats is unhelpful because it is ignoring the fact that stripping women of a voice and of their power is inherent in our culture no matter what your political party. Liberal ideals ask for equality, but that doesn't mean that everyone is walking their talk because people mess things up. So to comp I'm gonna try to like, one of the people that I was trying to communicate with is Catholic. And 
as I was raised Catholic as well. And so I'm trying to make this connection. Blaming liberal ideals, progressive ideals of equality, for the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Weinsteins of the world, is the same thing as blaming the entire Catholic Church for the evilness of so many of its priests or blaming an entire school system for some corrupt teachers and pedophile teachers. Um, yes, systems need to change, but you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater anyway, or you don't have to or whatever. Hollywood wasn't actually feminist until like this year. Women's roles were limited, favoring the young and the beautiful and blaming liberals or Democrats for this is missing the mark. And yes, in this way, feminism and body image is an overarching, overarching cultural issue until women started having the bravery and support to report what had been happening in Hollywood for the past 100 years, how they were being threatened with their livelihood and their careers unless they complied. Do you see why feminism is still important? And of course, this is the only reason I'm using Hollywood as an example is because it's being sort of like, it's being twisted in this way where it's like, see, liberals are like bad people too. And that is missing the mark. That's like, that's just using the situation as a way to try to convince everyone that your way of looking at the world is correct, where you have to zoom out even further and see why this is like more inherent in the way that our cultural culture works. Okay. But, uh, curve. Wow. My mouth just wants to like really rush. And so it's trying to just make hybrids of every word. So I, you know what I mean? Conservatives might say that women's biggest problem is that today they have too many options and that too many choices isn't freedom at all. And that might be easy for certain people to say because they're living their truth in a traditional role. And that is all and well and good for them. But ignoring other people's autonomy is a problem and it has serious ripple effects. This is honestly just a tiny little sliver of how our society oppresses bodies. I haven't even really talked about how um you know racism works into this and it's a huge thing it's a huge thing that um is a huge part of feminism and again i'm not trying to ignore it i'm honestly saying that me beginning to talk about it is going to not do it justice because i i'm just not as well versed in it but i know that it's true Um, and i hear that it's true from the people who are experiencing it So this is not man-hating. My feminism, most people's feminism, is not man-hating. This isn't, that's not what this is about. That's not the point. And this also isn't deriding women who are in traditional homemaker or caretaker roles at all. You are allowed to choose what you do because it is a full-time job. If you are not going to take care of your children, you need to pay somebody else to. It is not bad to do any of these roles. It should be your choice. It is just zooming out and looking at how historical context still affects the way we operate today and the way we look at beauty. Okay, that was fucking long, man. That was so long. Anyway, I hope that that's helpful. I hope it's not alienating. I hope it actually makes it clearer what I'm talking about. I know that a good amount of you totally understand 
a degree and I don't know if some of you don't and if that was helpful or if that still you know alienated you people are so stuck in their beliefs that it's just really hard to communicate with people who don't agree with you it's just hard it's really hard it's why I don't go out and try and convert bodybuilders to the fuck a diet because they don't fucking want to hear it you know okay now let's answer some questions let's see how long this has been going on for oh my god 42 minutes already are you Okay, this is going to be a long episode. So, you go to patreon.com slash carolineduner slash community where people write their things. Ugh. As always, I don't freaking know what I've already read. That's a shame. I really don't know what's wrong with me. Okay. Maybe I haven't answered any of these. Oh, I think I haven't. Okay, I'm going to start with this one from Jen. Hey, Carolyn, I want to thank you as well for your work and your podcast. I get so much out of what you provide, and your podcast is my favorite. Oh, thank you. I love how the questions bring such a variety of information to each episode. Yes, I'm so glad that you feel that way. It's the only podcast I listen to every episode. I listen, I listen to every episode. Smiley face from her and a smiley face from me. Anyway, my question is that my energy, self-work, I've come a... Oh, my God. I'm so sorry that I'm reading so poorly today. Okay. My question is that in my energy and self-work, I've come across the idea that if we keep coming back to an issue or feel stuck on something, it's because we still have more to learn from it. Just wondering if you have any thoughts or have experienced it. There is, oh, guys, I really need a better system for knowing what I've already read because I might have already done this one, but you know what? Let's just do it again. Um, yes. I mean, I don't know that that's very helpful. I'm just confirming what you believe. Um, if we keep coming back to an issue or feel stuck on something, it's because we still have more to learn from it. There's That's exactly what I believe. Um, so I once learned from this energy work teacher who, speaking of gurus, I think she was fucking culty and I hate her um I don't feel bad sharing who it is but I'm not gonna say it now because I don't want to be sued okay and I paid a lot of money to train from her and though I think that it it um you know it's a very focused way to get people to spend time in their bodies processing stuff like it's not that I don't think it works it's not that I don't think there is benefit to it it's one way and the way that she marketed to us and that she wanted us to market to our students really rubbed me the wrong way really really quickly so I very quickly distanced myself from her um and I again I'm not saying that her work doesn't work I'm not saying that the methods that she teaches or that she practices herself aren't like a great way for people to start doing energy work, but there was this energy of like, once you do this, it's, it's healed and it's gone forever. And this is the one way to do this thing. And, um, my way is the only way, or my way is the best way, or my way. I like, we, I can't tell you all my secrets, all this weird fucking shit that I very quickly was like this sucks I hate it um so yeah anyone who says like uh, abracadabra you are now fully healed of this like mother wound or whatever is just bullshitting you and I genuinely think that 
self-work and energy work and processing old pain and old um, trauma and old patterns really does take a lot of time and a lot of commitment and and a willingness to really just continue to dig deeper. So there's nothing wrong if if you feel stuck on something for a long time, it doesn't mean that you haven't made progress, but um, there is still more to learn. There's still more to process. There's maybe you've worked through one part of it or one aspect of it, and there's still more to do. And I've definitely experienced this, and I hope that that's helpful. Okay. Um, okay. Celeste says, I love the podcast and your work. My question to you, if it's even answerable, is why do I feel like crap whenever I take even the tiniest vacation? My digestive system literally shuts down. I won't poop even on week-long vacations. I do give myself the freedom to eat what I want, but I can't physically do it because I feel so physically terrible. Do you think this is purely psychological? Thanks. If this is too dumb of a question (laughs) feel free to ignore it I still love you okay so I'm looking at this April 26th is when you posted this or asked this question and I was on vacation at the time with my family for my dad's 60th birthday I believe that this is almost 100% psychological because it happens to me too and there's nothing different than I used to think oh maybe I'm not drinking enough water blah blah no 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 my body fucking knows that it's not home it doesn't know like the bathroom is not like as comfortable I don't you know like walking around a new city all the time it's totally psychological when I, you first started, when I first started reading this, I thought you were going to be talking about the resistance to relaxing, which I also think could be part of it. And I, my answer to that is like, do some work figuring out what your beliefs about productivity are and why it's so hard to relax. I do still think that that's part of this because if we're all tense and stopped up and don't know what to do with ourselves and don't know how to surrender, um... I think that it really does affect the digestive system. And I am somebody, and I haven't fully figured this out though, I feel like the faster I'm willing to relax and surrender and go with the flow, the faster my digestive system will sort of get back to normal because I have a really, really easy digestive system for the most part, parasites aside, even with parasites. Um, If you don't know what I'm talking about, I talked about it in a recent podcast episode and I don't even remember which one. Um, but as soon as I go on vacation or I'm in some other place that is not my sort of like home base, I, I like am totally constipated for so long and it's gotten a little better again with being a little bit calmer in general, but I do think it's psychological and I think that working on, um, limiting beliefs and like what do we believe about relaxation and what we're allowed to enjoy is part of it. Also, if it's a really short vacation, there's almost no time to relax, if you know what I mean. So that could be a part of it too. You know, and that's not to say that there aren't physical, I mean, yeah, physical, like actual physical reasons, but I think for the most part, it's psychological. And I don't have anything really to say, except that just like everything else, it's a matter of like untangling the knots of our brain and body. 
Okay, I'm moving on to the next question. Lara says, first of all, thank you for what you're doing. It is so important. I recommend your podcast and blog to everyone I know because it really has changed my life. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Secondly, I have a question about nighttime eating. I'm choosing to not refer to it as binging because I'm trying to remove the shame from eating at any hour. Very good job. I've been doing the fucker diet for a bit over a month and I'm loving it. I feel like a huge weight has been lifted off of my shoulders, one that I've carried for 14 years since first dieting at the age of 12. However, I'm struggling with nighttime eating. I have this overwhelming urge to eat late at night, even when I'm perfectly full, even though I honor my hunger all day. I let myself eat what I truly desire, whether it be chocolate or broccoli, no matter how satisfied I am. When 11 12 p.m. rolls around, I feel this need to eat so-called junk foods. I know these foods aren't off limits and I can eat them whenever I want, day or night, but I still reach for them every night without fail. I'm not hungry, but it's like my brain urges me to seek food regardless of how I feel. I'm up late because I'm studying at night, doing my master's, and I work during the day so the urge kicks in when I'm on my way home late at night. This has been happening for quite a few weeks and I'm not sure if perhaps the old cranky diet witch in my brain is still hanging around subconsciously telling me I should be making the most of this food while it lasts because I'll be starting another diet soon, which I now know will never be the case ever again. My question is, will this go away? I'm trying to go with the flow and do what my body seems to want, but I can't help but worry about my long-term health. I would love to know if this is something you or anyone else in the community has experienced. Thanks again, Laura. I'm going to take a sip of water and then I'm going to answer this question. All right. I should just edit that out, shouldn't I? My water drinking. Okay. So yes, this is something that many, many, many people experience. I definitely experienced this. and But what I was more experiencing a little bit more than this was like genuine hunger at night, even though I didn't understand why that I had to surrender to. Um, but even still, I know that many people who, especially because you're only one month in, so there's still, I don't know what your eating was like um, before, but if you have been dieting for 14 years, um, th- there is definitely an aspect of your body that needs to quote unquote overeat because there is this sense of your body needed to make up for a lot of lost time. So I think one month in, it's both physical, genuinely physical, even though you don't feel hungry, and psychological. So I do not condone calorie counting in the long run at all, but there is maybe potentially some um, benefit in making sure that you're actually getting enough during the day because I have had things where like I'm not that hungry during the day and then I'm starving at night. And I know that that's not what you're saying, but if you're one month in, it's possible that your body needs more food than you're used to being hungry for. And it's really amazing that you're following that. So making sure you're actually getting like 2,500 or 3,000 or 3,500. And I, again, I don't, like to go this route because it kind of gets into me prescribing what people should be doing and then people overthink that but the mini mod protocol I don't even know if it's called that anymore is sort of like the fuck a diet for eating disorders and just sort of reading that stuff when I was first doing this I was like oh wow yeah like we need so much more so many more calories um than we think we need just generally and then when um we're 
actually healing, like we're going through the refeeding healing process, especially really close to the beginning, we need even way more than that. Like looking at the Minnesota starvation experiment, um, they would like some days be hungry or need to eat like 5,000 to 11,000 calories. And yes, they were men. And yes, that might not have been every day during the many, many, many months that followed their 1,600 calorie semi-starvation diet. But just looking at what the body really needs and like what's actually really normal in healing from a suppressed metabolic state can be helpful to see that nothing is wrong. One month is still early into the process. And the other thing that you can do is just begin to do a writing exercise before, during, or after this eating, just to really tap in with what's happening. Um, There's no need to stop eating, but just allowing yourself to both eat and to check in with maybe what your fears are and maybe what... um, maybe what's going on emotionally, maybe what's going on mentally, will just help you make sure that you are taking care of both your physical hunger needs and your mental and emotional needs. And I hope that that's helpful. And I hope to hear both from you about how that feels and also from other people who may have experienced this at the beginning. And then that slowly just went away as the body knew that it was going to be fed. Okay, moving on to the next Rina or Rina, R-I-I-N-A. I don't know how to pronounce your name, but I hope that one of those are correct. Hi, Caroline. Thank you so much for starting this movement and the Fuck It Diet blog podcast. And you're so welcome. Though I do want to say that, you know, body positivity and normal, I can't speak, body positivity and normal eating, I technically did not start the movement, but I do have kind of a specific way of teaching it. Um. Okay. Really excited for your book to come out next year. Yay, me too. I've been devouring your posts and last week, the last week, and many of the books, articles, and other resources you've recommended. And it's still flooring me how much the research contradicts conventional wisdom. I know, right? And how much freer and happier I feel these past few days after giving myself permission to really, truly fuck it. My question is similar to one asked before, but I'm not sure if it's been answered on your podcast yet, which is regarding handling other people's opinions when adopting TFID, the fucker diet. This is all ringing so true with me that I've been so excited to share it with important people in my life, but every time I have, the reaction is the same. Excitement that I'm relaxing about being so militant about counting calories. Yay, we can go out for drinks and brunch together. Being happy that I'm happy, girl power, woo woo, rah rah, But then a comment is invariably added along the lines of just be more balanced, i.e. glad you're going to enjoy food again, but maybe just don't eat the whole carton of ice cream, you know? Or this is great news and you eat so healthy as it is. I'm sure you'll just continue to eat that way for the most part. Or you're already so thin, you don't have anything to worry about. Or you work out, girl, so yeah, eat what you want. Or yada, yada, yada. Point is, they are really not understanding what I'm saying. They still equate slender with health and non-dieting with mindfully balancing your food intake. (sighs) My question is, how much of your decision to do the fuck a diet did you share with your friends and family? This is such a good question. How do you continue to stay on this path of relaxing around food and body image issues without allowing the rest of the world's opinions to cloud yours? Did you try to share this information with other people or just keep it to yourself the first few months or year? I guess I'm looking for both answers about how to navigate the real world while adopting the fuck a diet while also wondering 
how long it took you to come into your own with it and not care about the good opinions of other people. It is certainly the hardest part. This is still her speaking. I made it sound like I was beginning to answer, but I'm not. It is certainly the hardest part of this to let go of the fear of gaining weight and the fear of what other people are going to do, think, say, and do about it. Yes, it definitely is. I think for us to have spent years yo-yo dieting, other people's opinions definitely are more important to us or we wouldn't have allowed them to tell us that we were fat and needed to lose weight in the first place. Thank you for all you do and sorry if this was really long. From a fellow Philly gal, four days into the fuck it diet after 17 years of chronic yo-yo dieting. Oh my goodness. Okay, well you posted this April 28th. So now, hopefully you are. 17 days, uh, 17, 21 days into the pocket diet. Okay. This is a great, great question. And I totally empathize. And I know that other people do too. And it's really frustrating because we want everyone to understand what we're doing. We want everyone to support us. If they did, if everybody believed the same thing and we were just this outlier, you know, that needed to just let go of some crazy thing like eating dirt or whatever and come back into the way the whole world works, this, this would be so much easier. But everyone is really messed up with food. So personally, I um, spent a lot of time online reading about it, reading books, um, writing about it in the beginning. Um, and so I had an outlet that helped me focus on it, but I didn't have my full name on there because I didn't I knew that people wouldn't understand what I was doing. And I felt like I had to try to explain it to my mother. But she didn't fully under she didn't understand in the beginning. And she still only half understands, genuinely. Um, which is super annoying, but I've had to come to terms with it because I have no other option. Um, both of my parents think it's really cool at this point, though they hate cursing. Um that I, I mean, I'm clearly happier and saner and they're like amazed that I have a book deal. They like are afraid that I'm going to like say something stupid and like that they have to continue to like teach me to be like a good, sweet girl and like whatever, you know, you know, just like stupid bullshit. But they're like amazed. And my dad has read, you know, an early manuscript of the book and like sort of agrees or like thinks he agrees or whatever, but like he definitely has his own stuff with food and exercise. My mom definitely does just like most people do. And so I have to sort of, I mean, my brother and sister both do too. They have, it's like, you know, like disordered eating, like slight disordered eating that many people have. So they're able to convince themselves that it's normal. And I guess they just aren't miserable enough to need the fuck a diet or something it's it's not fully clear but um yeah most people will be like oh that's so cool yeah just be balanced and then they won't do it themselves or they won't understand and we can't do anything about that and that's so frustrating but I honestly for the most part I really kind of kept it to myself because I knew at a certain point that people would not fully understand what I was talking about. So I either did something like, yeah, I believe in intuitive eating and I don't believe the diets work and left it at that. Um, or I said nothing. And I was anonymous. I was Caroline Hagen, so I had a pen name on my site for like two or three years. 
And my best friend had had um, sort of eating stuff in high school. So she like agreed and was awesome about it um, herself. Um, I, since starting the fuck it diet, I like writing about the fuck it diet, having it be like an actual project and business of mine, I have naturally become close with people who were similarly minded, who were open to it, or who, if they weren't themselves applying it, they, you know, had no qualms with this being my thing. So just personally, I've kind of let it inform the kind of, you know, people I want to be around. Understanding that still, most people don't fully understand what I'm talking about. If they have not hit their own personal rock bottom, then they might not understand why this is so important. Um, People are so afraid of not being thin that it really clouds the way they look at life and health. And I have to just have a little bit of empathy for that um, as they put it, as they point it to themselves, right? I'm like, do whatever you want with yourself. But as soon as you start being an asshole about other people's bodies, I'm gonna really um, softly um, judge you disagree with you because I just have this big awareness that people don't want to be reprimanded so I try to stay really really true to what I know and what I believe and you know the social justice issue of cruelty towards fat bodies is something that's actually easier for me to be like that's not okay you're making assumptions about these people than me talking about people's relationship with food to be perfectly honest with you I pick my battles I um I have really low expectations for people, which I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's helpful Um, because I'm able to kind of try to have empathy for people and understand that people are currently where I was six or seven years ago and to, okay, so then we move on to the people who are really close to us or who won't stop bothering us about what we're doing. So I do recommend that you Kind of protect yourself a little bit, really rely on the people online who are doing similar things to really understand what you're doing. <coughs> Sorry, <coughs> I just inhaled my own saliva. Okay. Oh, God. So, um, so I do recommend that you protect yourself, especially in the beginning, especially because you're only 21 days into this. Um, and then with the people who are very close to you, who like kind of give you a hard time or who you really, really wish they would understand a little bit more. I recommend that you, um, that you recommend to them that they read a book like Body Respect, which is um, pretty good at explaining the scientific health part, which is people's biggest, uh, you know, resistance, I feel like. So that can be a really good book to uh, to buy for people to say, hey, I'm doing this thing. Um, it's really for my mental and physical health. It's kind of counterculture, but it's really helped me. And I don't expect everyone to fully understand, but if you'd like to know more about why I'm doing this, here's a really awesome book that you can read. I can lend it to you, or this is the book title. Obviously, when my book is out, you should totally give them mine because mine will be funny. I hope. I mean, it's meant to be funny. It's like serious stuff, but like, you know, fun. There's a fun entry point, you know? And it's called the fuck it diet. Who doesn't want to read that? 
So obviously, you know, when my book comes out, I recommend that you um, share that. But for now, any other book that has helped you, I think is a nice way. Telling someone to go read a site, um, I think what's really hard about sending them to my blog is that if they're not already on board, they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? But giving a book that has like an entry point, a beginning, a middle, and an end to kind of speak to the people who might not fully yet be on board is a really good way to go, which is why I'm so excited to have a book. I hope that that's helpful to everybody. And um, you can respond with the ways that you protect yourself, with the ways that you communicate with people who are not on board. And I, um, I will be looking forward to everyone's responses. Fiona says... Hi, Caroline. I have a question that I feel is holding me back from becoming me and letting go of dieting. Somehow, at some point in my life, I came across the idea that people are naturally lean if we eat intuitively and as nature designed us to. So my whole plan was to learn to eat intuitively so I could get back to that skinny cavewoman place. Ha! Me too. I totally understand. This is what I believe too. I can now see that I was very wrong. And that people come in all shapes and sizes. However, I'm still struggling with really believing it rather than just knowing it rationally. Can you talk about this at all in one of your podcasts? It would help me so much. Thank you and thank you for being amazing. You are the one person that is making me feel grounded at the moment through all of my impulsive bad decisions that I must go on another diet and try to be thin. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Um... Very interesting Um, to like, how do you actually know that in your bones as opposed to just learning the information and being like, ah, interesting um, that people come in many different shapes and sizes, Um, both to apply to yourself, I imagine, uh, more than other people. Like, um, you didn't say this, but this sounds like the thing that people are like, oh, yeah, I can apply this to other people and be like, yeah, they're naturally you know, this shape that's not perfectly thin, but I am supposed to be thin. You didn't say that, so I'm, I'm actually might be jumping to some conclusion that isn't true, but I mean, I just look around. I like look around. I have friends who eat normally, who are all different shapes and sizes naturally. Um, I have friends who constantly diet and are way bigger than me. And I have friends that um, eat so much and are so tiny. And I know that, you know, we're also talking about disordered eaters and there could be, you know, um, bingers and purgers in this and all this stuff. But um, really just looking at how different, how, how people's eating habits literally do not reflect the size of their body the way that we've been led to believe that they do. Um... Also, like, just seeing some kids are chubby, some kids are not, and sometimes that changes hormonally as they grow up. They either, you know, flip-flop to the other side, and some often that could be caused by dieting and whatever stuff is going on hormonally, metabolically, but that, you know, the way we're wired to have our set point is really is it genuinely varied and I actually find it helpful to just look around at the people that I know and love um also to read from 
fat activists' perspectives who talk about how they had an eating disorder and they still weren't thin, and so people, you know, would applaud them for being anorexic, essentially, but it never made them skinny the way it makes other people skinny who have lower set ranges. And just understanding that the way that we've been making assumptions about people is not based in anything concrete or real. There, there's science that actually, you know, supports this homeostasis um, governed by the hypothalamus. And, um, but then, so that's, that's like looking at the, you know, the hard facts of it, but then really listening to people's stories and like looking at the humanity of the issue can help you see how it's actually um, coming into play in actual human beings' lives. And I think that that's the best place to start. If anybody else has any other response or ideas about ways that they've come to truly, you know, feel it in their bones and know it in their bones, that is great. I would love to hear. So Alana asks, oh, she first says, thank you for everything you do. I listen to you on my way to work and I get my mind right for the day. It's 5 a.m. So I feel particularly impressionable then. I haven't heard you answer this question before, so I hope I'm not repeating another Patreon's question. Again, anybody can repeat a question. That's totally fine. Um, but she says, I struggle with the idea that dieting has screwed up my natural weight set point, making it higher. I know this idea in and of itself is disordered because it shouldn't be about any weight at all. But the idea that I've irrevocably, I know the word, but my mouth is broken today. The idea that I've irrevocably fucked up where I should have been naturally frustrates and scares me. I just want to say it's allowed to frustrate and scare you because we live in a world that is not... Um, neutral on this issue and also there is a practical issue of literally like having to move through the world in different clothes and all that stuff so it's allowed to be a thing like do you know what I mean it's allowed to be a thing it's allowed to be a thing to work through will the fuck a diet help me help bring me back to my normal set range um the one that I was supposed to be at before I threw my body out of whack with anorexia and orthorexia the answer is yes it is possible that your weight set range will have changed a little bit and there's nothing you can do about that except like the sooner to get to whatever your current healthy set range is is to stop dieting right now because the way to continue to screw up your natural weight set point and to make it you know higher is which is the opposite of what dieters think they're doing is to keep dieting so I know the the issue with this answer is that it sometimes it like plays into people's fear of weight I'm like I'm like using that as a way to get you to stop dieting I'm like if you want to keep making your weight weight set point go up and up and up um stop dieting now and that inherently is using people's fear of being fatter to make them stop dieting so I see the issue with that but it's true and just beyond weight and changing your weight set range, you know, to reflect the body being afraid that there isn't going to be food in the future, it also messes with your health. So you can also look at it from that perspective. Like you can be thin and restricting and totally messed up with your health because you're dieting. Do you know what I mean? And the only way to heal yourself is to eat and gain weight and let yourself go through that process. And I, I understand why the fear is there. Like I really do because we live in the culture that we live in. But um, 
but that's just the truth. And so the no matter what is happening, the answer is to eat to eat. <laughs> because that's the way that the body will will heal that dysfunction. She said, also bonus question, how big is the typical set range? Are we talking five pounds or fifty pounds? That's a great question, actually. And I don't know that there's a solid answer for that because I know that um that it can vary I would say I think a natural weight set range is like 15 to 20 pounds but that could also be different okay I'm talking out of my ass right now and I really really like I'm gonna say this and it might <laughs> might not be true but I feel like and it all I feel like the lower, I feel like it's relative. Um, the higher your weight set ranges, maybe the higher the um, the bigger the range. That's like not based on anything legitimate. That's based in just like the people that I know and what I've observed. Um, but also, I'm. Let me just say, I think the weight set range, like a healthy weight set range, where you're not yo-yoing back and forth because you're binging and repenting, but you're like generally eating normally and you're vacillating because of seasons and general changing activity level and um whatever else hormones etc I think it's like 20 ish pounds but you know what my big disclaimer is I can't really answer that question because I don't know that science knows the answer to that question I'm merely going off of what I have observed which is purely anecdotal and so where normally I'm talking about things that are a lot more steeped in metabolic science this answer is not okay and she says again thank you for giving us strength love you oh thank you so much I hope that that was helpful I know that I probably I know that questions like that are like really just wanting to be calmed down and it's really hard to in a culture that is so obsessed with weight and so I want to empathize with you for being scared and resistant to like be ostracized um, but also how important it is to change our own relationship and like beginning to change the way the culture looks at this is like really the only answer. Okay. The very last question for you guys is I've been following the fuck it diet for over a year now, and I consider myself pretty normal with food. There are always things to work on in that area, but eating no longer causes me anxiety or isolation from friends which were two of my main goals when I started. In the last few weeks, I've noticed that I lost a little weight. It was unintentional and could have been due to the fact that I'm landscaping again now and that it's warmer out or that my body is now returning to the low end of my natural set range. I noticed that when I realized this happened, I had an internal, yes, I'm thin again. I always have been, but now I'm back to where I was, I was before I started the fuck a diet and gained a little weight. Now, I don't think there's a problem with being happy with my body, but I think there's a bit of a problem with the fact that I'm quietly celebrating the fact that I can fit back into old clothes and feel quote unquote normal again. It seems to me that my work here is not done. It almost seems like the, the food journey and the body outlook journey are two very different paths of their own. I would go so far as to say that they are not two completely different paths because they do affect each other, but they are um, two um, two different journeys that can, you know, that, that we need to go on, but they do affect each other. 
Um, I understand how to get over food phobias, but what about the fact that I am deep down much happier now that I'm thinner again? What's the next step in becoming happy no matter what my body goes through as I very well, as I know very well, it will fluctuate a little bit. Thank you, Caroline. So great to have a resource like you. Ah, oh, thank you. Okay. I've experienced this. I, this is what I experienced when I went on the fuck it diet. I gained weight. I bought bigger clothes. I surrendered to this being my body. I didn't know what was going to happen. And then a year ish and I lost weight naturally. Um, I still fluctuate seasons. Um, my bra size fluctuates like monthly hormonally. Um, I definitely am within a weight set range, but I do slightly go up and down, um, depending on just things that I'm not even trying to control and whatever. I think that the fact that you have an awareness about this is excellent. Again, I want to bring up the fact that being happy to fit into a culture that is like genuinely um, like cruel and afraid of being bigger is, you know, it makes sense. Like, I think just having the awareness and I have to do this all of the time because the thing that I realized is like I and there are people who have said like how can you really speak to body positivity when you yourself are thin and to which I say well first of all I genuinely did gain weight um in the going through the fuck it diet and surrendering to that and whatever that was going to be was so 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 essential but yes I've always been on a lower end and if my body changed like if all of a sudden for some hormonal reason some um like other health issue or other situation I immediately like gained even 50 pounds um and had a new weight set range and had a new kind of normal, um, I would have to do work on accepting a new normal. I would. I would be luckier to already believe the things I believe. I know that I would have an amazing life and I would work through all of the, you know, going through the world, being treated differently, um, having to navigate feeling differently in in your actual physical body, needing to get all new clothes, needing to figure out how to dress yourself, um, having to deal with doctors giving you a hard time is legitimately something that you have to adjust to and work through. And to pretend that I wouldn't have to do that if my weight re- set bleh, my weight set range changed um, would be a lie. And I wouldn't like that's not a helpful way to look at life to be like no no I accept you know like I accept everything and I'm just like so enlightened I understand how this works I've applied it to myself and I've been lucky in the fact that I still like literally I do think that some of my success some of some people's willingness to listen to me um may stem from body bias and then being like oh I can trust this girl she's thin I know it I see it I'm trying to be really really aware of the way that it affects the way I kind of operate in this space 
as an ally to fat bodies and as somebody who, again, is not really able to control the size of my body, but is just aware of the way that those body politics kind of fit into this um, and then hoping to use that privilege for good. I'm just aware of all of those things. And so anyway, that was a little bit of a tangent, but I just try to be super aware. I think it's really, really great that you say, um, what's the next step in being happy no matter what my body goes through as I know very well it will fluctuate a bit. Um, so you know it's going to fluctuate a little bit and it almost certainly will. Um, what the game that I've sort of liked to play is like when I lose weight or when I'm like, whoa, I look really thin, which I did last summer when I was in Gypsy at the Arden, which was a whole interesting thing. So I was literally playing a stripper and I was like, this is so weird to be doing this and also be running the fuck it diet. I was so tired and I was so single focused and stressed that I was thin for me. I mean, like I was really like at a lower, um, the lower end of my weight set range and I, then I do the thing where I'm like, do people, like, what, like, because I talk about this stuff, like, the thinner I am, the more people who think I don't understand. Like, right now, I'm, like, wearing my big bras and, like, not fitting into my summer clothes from last year just because I was so stressed and so thin last year that it's, like, it's almost, like, ah, now I can, like, be forced to, like, walk my talk again, which is, like, so strange. But um, I do this thing where when I am thinner, I just remind myself that it, it's probably temporary and that to be really aware of the way that people treat me, be really aware of um, the way I buy clothes because I'll like buy clothes for like a tiny body and be like, I might not be able to fit into this in six months when I'm not as stressed looking at the fact that like I am thin, I'm like really stable, but it's when I'm stressed and can't focus on genuine self-care that I'm like really thin and looking at the times when I've been like very thin during the fucking diet years have been my worst (laughs) times which is really interesting somewhere in the middle has been um like normal times and then higher rarely happens but it's happened and I have faced that with this is just a fluctuating body and then it inevitably fluctuates and then when I lose weight again, naturally, I just remind myself, I like really try to be really aware of like, ah, it's so interesting. The way I used to think about this was this. And how can I, with the knowledge that I have now, understand and look at the way my brain works with empathy, with understanding, why we're all so obsessed with being thinner in a world that's obsessed with being thinner, and just have empathy for ourselves and really understand that this there's so much impermanence with weight fluctuation because a natural body fluctuates weight. It just does. And this is different than the yo-yo where you're like binging and repenting and like really that's that's more extreme vacillation. Um but just I don't know, having empathy and awareness about the way your brain is working, which it seems like you're doing. And so I think it's great. And I think that you're actually in a good place to be really empathetic, to remember, hey, I accepted my body when I was where I was before and I will do that again. Like I will rework through things in order to remind myself what is important to me and what I value and what's not worth it. Does that make sense? And 
I just think that, you know, your awareness on the way your brain is working in celebration um, is a good thing. And I think just being really honest with yourself. And I mean, there's also the thing of being like, wow, this is amazing. Like I literally ate myself to a place where my body naturally lost weight just because I am not like obsessed with food anymore. Like that's cool too. That's seeing that the how the metabolism is willing to heal. Um, not to say that you won't fluctuate again and that that won't be natural as well, but just like there is cause for like, whoa, I like didn't know that this was even a thing. Like I was so afraid to let go of control. And so it's just really nuanced and there are lots of little, there are lots of complicated um, things that go along with our relationship to our bodies. But I think that you're in a really good place of being willing to look at those things. And I really think that's all you can ask for. And I hope that that's helpful. <sighs> Man, guys, this is long. This was so long, but I feel good about it. I feel really good about it. Um, so the next official podcast will be in July. Um, if you want to ask questions for this podcast, you can join the Pay What You Can, the Patreon, and I will be doing a Q&A just for Patreon people in June. And again, the reason I'm not doing a new post or new podcast in June is because I'm having all of this um, launch stuff. Maybe I'll eat my words and like just do one anyway, but my current plan is to focus on these Instagram live stories and like doing stuff to promote Fucketeer Academy running live and then really get back to this stuff in July. I hope that sounds good. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for asking your questions. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Because really, who would I be without you? Just a girl who changed her name to a, a ice cream brand who wondered whether she was crazy, whether this was I was the only person who this would work for. I mean, obviously, other people are in the field doing talking about similar things. But anyway, I am thankful for you. I'm genuinely, genuinely thankful for all of you. Thank you for listening. And I will have a new post in two months, but there will be lots of fun, free stuff in June. And if you are a Patreon, pay what you can, podcast insider, question asker, I will be answering your questions in June.